The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 to 16. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the house, his disciples asked him about this again. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Some people began bringing little children to Jesus so that he would touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I tell you. Whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the little children in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. How would you like to feel really good about yourself? I have a way, it's a technique, that's going to make you feel really good about yourself and your life. It's called... Comparative righteousness, and here's how it works. Step number one in this wonder drug of comparative righteousness, which is going to make you feel great, step number one is to think of someone you know who's super slimy. Think of the, the laziest coworker that you have. <laughs> or identify the black sheep in your family, you know, assuming that you're not it. Or... Think of the last time you watched the news and the story of a murderer or a white-collar criminal. So that's step one. Think of someone who looks really rotten to you. Now here's step two in comparative righteousness. Told you it was easy. Simply compare yourself to that person that you were thinking of. There now. Doesn't that feel good? I told you it would because you are a much harder worker than that coworker of yours. And you don't bring shame on your family, at least not like the cousin that nobody wants to talk about at Thanksgiving. And you've never murdered anybody or embezzled anybody's retirement savings. Now this little trick is called comparative righteousness. It's easy to understand. You just compare yourself to somebody else and it makes you feel good about yourself. It makes you feel righteous or at least more righteous than you did before. A couple problems though with comparative righteousness. One problem is you do have to be a little bit careful who you compare yourself to because if you accidentally pick somebody who's better than you then it sort of has you know the reverse effect. The other problem with comparative righteousness and this is a bigger problem is that it is spiritually a really dangerous thing to do. In his word God never instructs his people to compare themselves to another human being and evaluate their life based on that. Instead, in his word, God instructs his people to compare 
their entire existence, thoughts, words, and actions, to compare it all to the right thing, which is the holy standard of God's law, his commandments. And there is a very good reason for that. If you compare your life to the wrong thing, which is another human being, you may feel good, you may feel righteous, but you won't see where you've gone wrong anymore. You won't see your need for God's forgiveness, and you won't ask for it. After a while, you become like that Pharisee in the temple. You remember that guy? He was an expert at comparative righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this scumbag tax collector over here. But remember, that Pharisee also went home unforgiven because he compared himself to the wrong thing, didn't see his sin, never asked God for forgiveness. But if you compare yourself to the right thing, if you compare yourself to the perfection of God's law, then you will see your shortcomings in life and you'll ask God for forgiveness, just like the tax collector did in the temple. And remember, the tax collector went home forgiven. And you will too. When you compare your life to God's law, you see your sin and ask him for forgiveness. So the bottom line is, as attractive as it is, as tempting as it is to do comparative righteousness, don't go anywhere near it because if you do, you won't see your own flaws and you won't ask God to forgive you. Instead, compare yourself to the right thing, God's commandments, ask him for forgiveness and then see, then you will be truly righteous. Then you actually will be holy in God's eyes, forgiven by his son. By now you're certainly wondering, what is all of this about comparative righteousness what does any of it have to do with the price of beans in Boston? I totally understand why you're wondering that. The answer is not much, but it has a lot to do, I think, with the things that Jesus says to us in today's gospel and the things that the other two lessons addressed as well. Because today some Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him a question about divorce. And as he answers this trick question from the Pharisees, Jesus does talk about divorce, and he talks about marriage, and he also talks about how we treat little children. And these are all topics, I think, where many Christians have become very quick to practice comparative righteousness. We look at other people turning the scriptural definition of marriage and family on its head. We hear stories about celebrities getting divorced for the third and fourth and fifth time. We see parents who can't even be bothered to bring their children to be baptized, let alone bring them to Jesus in Sunday school and worship services. When it comes to these topics of marriage and family and raising little children in the Lord, we can see that it's getting worse out there. Oh, and let's not even get started on other churches. Oh, yes. Yes, we see other churches caving in to the changing culture. We see other churches twisting the words of Scripture to push the boundaries of marriage and family. Very easy to fall into comparative righteousness when we hear the things that Jesus is talking about today. That will make us feel pretty good, probably, about ourselves. But remember, that is also the spiritually dangerous thing to do. Jesus does not tell us these things today so that we can compare ourselves to other people, other churches, and feel good. Jesus tells us these things today so that we can compare ourselves to the right thing,
to the standard of God's word that Jesus speaks to us. So you're not going to hear this very often in church, but please be selfish this morning. Don't worry about anybody else. What anybody else says or thinks or does, just concern yourself with yourself. Your own thoughts, your own words, your own actions, and compare them to the right thing. God's standard in his word. So it starts with Pharisees asking Jesus a question. These Pharisees are very clever, and they know the content of Scripture really well. They know the Old Testament backward and forward, so they are aware that in the Old Testament, God says in so many words, he hates divorce. They also know that in the Old Testament, God, through his servant Moses, permitted divorce under certain circumstances. So the Pharisees take these two seemingly contradictory pieces of information and use them to try to trap Jesus. Some Pharisees came to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. There, the Son of God clearly defines marriage as a lifelong union between one man and one woman. And if you are not on board with that definition, and I'm under no illusion that every Wells member is, please read those words again, carefully and honestly, and remember who is speaking to you. But let's say, let's assume you are on board with that definition of marriage. Did you know that's not the only thing that Jesus is saying here about marriage? He has something very important to say to Christian men who are married. And sometimes it seems like Christian men figure, well, if I'm male and I'm married to a female, then I've got marriage right. That's all there is for me to know and I got it. No. Uh, when, When Jesus says here, the man will be joined to his wife, that's unfortunately a very generic translation that was chosen. The word means to cling to her, to hold on to her tight. So, Christian men, the standard for you to compare yourself to is that. Is the woman you married the center of your universe? Are you holding fast to her all the time? Do you, as God commanded through St. Paul, do you love your wife with the same selfless and sacrificial love that Jesus has shown for his church? That is the standard for Christian husbands to compare themselves to. And wives, how do you treat God's word to you on marriage? Are you satisfied with the role of helper that God gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Do you, as St. Paul instructs, joyfully and willingly submit to the man you married, which does not involve being bossed or bullied, but does mean that you willingly line up behind him, honor him, and allow him to lead your family? Or is that maybe a little too old-fashioned for you? Old-fashioned or not, 
that is the standard for Christian wives to compare themselves to. And that's not even all that Jesus has to say about marriage today. Because when he defines marriage, Jesus uses language that sets up a sequence of events and makes it clear that only after the man and wife are married should they join in the flesh. And that activity is therefore wrong anywhere outside of marriage. And in other places, Jesus makes it clear that if you even look at another human being lustfully, it's the same in God's eyes as committing the action. So what Jesus says here is not just about married people. It's about single people. And it's not just about what we do. It's about what we think. These passages speak to the kinds of images and entertainment that we could set before our eyes that would intentionally lead our thoughts in that direction. It speaks about the way we view our coworkers and our neighbors. There's one right place to join the flesh mentally or physically, and that is within marriage. Jesus does also address divorce, and he makes it clear that divorce is not okay with God. He does permit it in certain circumstances, but when a divorce occurs, it means somebody must have done something wrong and the guilty party needs to repent, just like any other sin. And if there is no repentance, then the sin sticks, just like any other. Do we still see divorce that way? Or are we so used to hearing about it that we've just gotten numb to it? We see it as something just kind of normal. Well, that's the standard of God's word. Now, I want to take a little intermission here, because this is just a whole lot of law going, just law, law, law. So I want to take a little intermission and just remind you, forget about anybody else. I know how easy it is to look around church. And I hope so-and-so is listening to this. But just you, just your thoughts, just your words, just your actions. Jesus also teaches his disciples how to treat little children, their relationship to their Savior. And you know, Jesus is not upset. He's not angry. He's indignant. He is red hot when his disciples stop little children from coming to him and being blessed by him. Jesus loves little children dearly. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He holds up the faith, little child, as an example of pure Christian faith. So, Christian parents, that's the standard to compare yourself to. Is the number one priority in the raising of your children to lead them to their Savior, to be blessed in his kingdom. How does that show in the time that you spend with your children and the things that you teach them about their Savior? Okay, law is over. Thank God, the law is over now. Just say that when you get done comparing your existence to the holy standard of God's law, there isn't any way that anybody can feel righteous anymore. And that is actually a really good thing. Because once you have made those convicting comparisons, there are other comparisons that God makes for us this morning, and these comparisons are beautifully comforting. One of them comes in that section of Ephesians that we heard earlier. As St. Paul commands Christian husbands to love their wives as Christ loves his church, St. Paul pictures Jesus Christ as the heavenly groom who shows perfectly selfless, sacrificial love for his bride and lays down his life 
to save, her, to save her life. And Paul compares us, the believers, every member of the Holy Christian Church. We are the bride of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are the ones for whom he died. We are the ones that he laid down his life for to make holy. We are purified in his blood. And Jesus presents us to himself and to our Heavenly Father as the perfect bride without stain or spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, which means we get to feast as Jesus' bride at his wedding supper in the kingdom of heaven. And this union with Christ, this marriage, never ends. Every other marriage comes to an end at some point. One spouse or the other passes away. But not the union of the church and Jesus Christ. He is our eternal groom, and we are his eternal bride. And here is another wonderful comparison for you to make today. Even if you're middle-aged, even if you are old, you are a little child in God's family. When Jesus held those little children in his arms, he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. By God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, you are such as those little children. God has planted in your heart a childlike faith to trust in what Jesus has done to save you. And through that childlike faith in Jesus, you are one of those little children that he holds in his arms and blesses for eternity. So go ahead and compare yourself to one of the little children Jesus was hugging that day because that's what you are. And as a dear child in God's family, we recognize that our human families are a great blessing from God. God gives us our human families to bless us physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and God builds the family to create the structure for all of those blessings to freely flow to all of those members. He invented the family. He knows how it works the best because he designed it. So listen to what God tells you about your role as a child, a husband, a wife, father, a mother, and as Jesus' bride, as a little child in his family, carry out your role joyfully. Amen.